we're going to go over a review, sort of the theme passage, since we went, what is this, six sessions now? Uh, I'm going to do kind of a little refresher off of our uh, theme passage. How many can tell me what our theme passage is? Uh, Luke 24. Luke 24. And what's easy, it's easy to remember because it's Luke 24, 25, 26, and 27. So, yeah. Um, so, we, uh, uh, yeah, I actually was reading through it this last week, just kind of going over it again. And, you know, whenever you read scripture, you see something and then you read it and you see something else. And then you read the same thing again and you notice something else. And uh, I kind of like to go through these order of things and kind of see, like, what is he saying and why, why is he saying it in this order? Maybe he's just saying it in that order for whatever reason, but um, just kind of wanted to go over that again. So, so the first sentence of the of the passage, of course, is then. Of course, this is the context. Jesus is walking on the road to Emmaus with these two guys right after his resurrection, and they don't know who he is. And later, they realize who he is, of course. But Jesus says to them, because they didn't know, didn't really understand what what the happenings in Jerusalem were. Um, you know, the savior who they thought was going to destroy Rome, you know, become the military leader they all thought he was going to be, ended up being killed, and they've been hearing all these rumors, and they really don't know. So Jesus says, and he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. So he's saying, basically, you foolish guys, you you didn't believe in what the prophets spoke. And so what that tells us is, of course, Jesus expects us to believe the scriptures. <clears throat> and I thought that was kind of interesting that he said that first, because then the next sentence implies something else. Was it not necessary for the Christ or himself to suffer these things and enter into his glory? So basically he's saying, you didn't know the scriptures. So he's saying, so what we're, getting from the second line is that Jesus expects us to know the scriptures. So first he expects us to believe them before we know them. It's kind of interesting because you need to go into the scriptures believing them. If you go into the scriptures not believing them, there's really no point. You're just going to debate it for the rest of your life and, and not really grasp it. So I thought that was kind of interesting that he mentions believe, you know, he talks about you didn't believe it, but you need and you need to know them. And then the last line, of course, is beginning with Moses and all the prophets, um, which we'll do eventually. No, I'm kidding. Um, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So he expects us to understand. So I just kind of highlighted believe the scriptures, know the scriptures, and then understand the scriptures. There's actually a difference between knowing them and understanding them. So it kind of brings it out in that little passage. And of course, that he is in all the scriptures, um, not just some of them. So <clears throat> uh, the Greek word for um, know or understand is is pas, P-A-S. Um, it basically means, or I'm sorry, it's the Greek word for all, A-L-L. -L. Um, all things, it means every whole, all manner of, everything, any whatsoever. So that could apply to the scripture essentially that uh, Jesus is in all manner of the scriptures. Jesus is in every scripture, all things of the scripture, every, you know. So that word really brings that out. 
And of course, John 59, sorry, John 5:39. I don't think there's 59 chapters. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. You don't have eternal life by knowing the scriptures. Um, it is these scriptures that testify about me. So you don't know, you don't have eternal life by the scriptures. You have eternal life by understanding the scriptures and who they point to. So, so Jesus, um, by putting your faith in him, once you understand them. <clears throat> now this, this is kind of what I wanted to add on this. What I, um, what I heard today was, of course, it's a very known passage here. It's 2 Timothy 3. If you want to write 14 through 17, we usually just read 17, or maybe 16 and 17, but um, I'm just going to read. This is Paul, of course, his last letter to, his last letter. Uh, he's, it's at the end of the letter, and he says to Timothy, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings what are the sacred writings in Paul's day? The Old Testament. The Old Testament. Yeah, they, they, they weren't considered Old Testament. There, there wasn't even a New Testament yet. They were still, you know, he was writing it literally in this. So um, so the things you have learned from childhood, you, you know the, sac- the not the old writings, the sacred writings, not the unimportant writings or the obsolete writings but the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in which is Christ Jesus so what he just said is that from these writings we'll say Old Testament you you get the wisdom that leads to salvation so the Old Testament leads you to Jesus the Old Testament leads you to salvation through faith in which is Jesus Christ. So when people say the Old Testament's obsolete or old or unneeded, and I'm going to have to change the study name now. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, finding Jesus in the other Testament. No. Um, sacred, writings. <laughs> sacred writings. There you go. Um, and then, of course, the passage after that is very familiar. All scripture is inspired by God, not some scripture. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable which that, impli- that applies to all scripture, is also profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Again, that's 2 Timothy 3. The whole passage is 14 through 17. I just wanted to throw that out there because it, kinda, it really spoke to me as far as how important the Old Testament is. Not that we need to put ourselves under the law or anything like that, because the Old Testament is not all about the law. That's just a little part of it, so... All right, so moving on. Uh, we also talked about the Hamoyedim, uh, the first two feasts, God's appointed times, which is what the Hamoyedim means. They're God's times, not people's times. They are literally set up by God himself. Um, we call them the festivals or the feasts of Moses. They all have different names. Um, we talked about our Jewish roots as Christians. We talked about the origins of anti-Semitism. It's a very dark discussion, but I think we all need to understand that Jews are not a lesser people like some people and some governments, some world leaders, some group, many groups of people have demonstrated over the centuries and millennia that the Jews are, uh, how they feel about the Jews. And we shouldn't feel that way about Jews. We shouldn't treat Jews any differently than anyone else. We should love Jews just like we love you know, anybody else. They're, they're people. They're part of the church. Um, 
our Savior's Jewish. So if that says anything. So we talked about anti-Semitism and how bad it is and how it's literally a device of the enemy of Satan himself to eliminate the Jewish people. Um, we talked about Passover, unleavened bread, and of course how those two festivals foreshadow Jesus and how he fulfills them. Okay, so I want to throw this out there too. Bread and wine. So when I say bread and wine, what do you think of? Christ's body and blood. Okay, Christ's body and blood. What else? Last Supper, Supper, Lord's Supper. When did that start? The bread and wine thing. Okay. What about... uh, Let's go to Genesis, if you want. You can turn with me or I'll just read it. Genesis 14. So Abraham, of course, returns from the battle of the nine, these nine kings he defeats. And then, of course, in verse 18 of this passage, he meets with this guy, Melchizedek. And what did he bring out? It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, which is later Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He's the only king and priest other than Jesus in the scripture that we, um, which of course actually we find out later that church is made up of kings and priests as well. But um, in the scripture before Jesus, this is the only king and priest. You're either a king, a prophet, or a priest, or you know, you're not all three, um, or you're not a king or a priest, or and a priest, sorry. Um, so it says that, uh, so yeah, he brought out bread and wine to Abram, or yeah, he was Abram at the time. He blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. This Melchizedek worshiped the same God as Abraham. So the God we all know. Um, and of course, Abraham gives him tithes. In uh, Hebrews, if you want to write Hebrews 7 through 10, I don't know if it's on there. I think it might be on there. Uh, you can highlight that. That makes him, that makes Melchizedek, that's what this passage talks about, senior to Abraham. So when Jews say that Abraham's the top guy, um, ask him if they've read Hebrews uh, 7, 1 through 10, because that actually talks about how Melchizedek's senior. I'll just a side point. But anyway, bread and wine is a thing here. So that's way back there. Genesis 40 is another one. That might sound more familiar. That's uh, Joseph, of course. That's when he gets sold into slavery. Joseph sold into slavery, and then, he, of course, he's thrown into prison. And, of course, who does he find in prison? A baker and a cupbearer. Or a wine steward, as some translations. So, basically, the guy that is responsible for the wine uh, given to, to the king. Um, so he encounters these, this bread guy and this wine guy. So bread and wine, kind of subtle, but it's there. And of course the baker gets killed. The bread gets killed, you could say. It's kind of symbolic. And what happens to the wine? He's, it's released or set free. The wine steward is set free, of course. And in both cases, how many days are involved? Anyone know? How many can guess? Three days, very good. What a coincidence, right? That's said with lots of sarcasm, so. All right, Passover, of course. 
that's the little blank there. So that occurs on the 14th of Nisan, and the Jewish day begins at sundown. Therefore, the event occurred on the 13th of the Egyptian calendar. So what day would that be? So if it occurs, so if Nisan occurs on the 14th of Nisan, on the Jewish day 14th, but the Jewish day begins at sundown, so what actual day would that be on the Egyptian calendar? So that would actually be a, who wants to say it? Friday. On the, on the 14th, yeah, the 14th there um, actually starts the 13th day on the Egyptian calendar. So interestingly enough, that's Friday the 13th. So this guy, Emmanuel Velikovsky, did a lot of research on this and decided that they can't find anything about Friday the 13th before Passover. So they think that Friday the 13th, actually, that whole, you know, it's a bad day uh, tradition started with the first Passover. So just a, thought I'd throw that out there. So that would be a very unlucky day, I guess, if, you're, if you didn't follow the rules. So let me turn this to low power. There we go. Okay. So our goals for this session, any questions, by the way, before we move on? We're going to have an understanding of the festival of first fruits. We're going to talk about two more feasts, festivals. Call them what you want. The festival of weeks. The resurrection of the body. Of course, we're going to talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament mystery, that is the church, how these festivals foreshadow the resurrection, the church, and then how they're fulfilled. Okay, that's pretty much what we're going to go over tonight. And then next week we will finish the feasts or festivals with the unfulfilled ones. Well, the ones that have not been fulfilled, that will probably be fulfilled somehow by Jesus' second coming, right before, right after, who knows. They haven't happened yet, so we don't know. But we have our ideas. We can talk about those. Not that any of them are right, but they're fun to talk about. Okay, first fruits, or Rashid. It's found in Leviticus 23, 9 through 14. If you want to turn there, you can. Um, it occurs during the month of Nisan. If you spell it with two S's or one, it's fine. Nisan, Nisan. It's spelled in several ways. Um, you're taking a Hebrew word and trying to transliterate it into English. And sometimes the words come out spelled differently, so no big deal. Okay, so before we go on, the month of Nisan was, of course, first called... Anyone know? You want to try to say it? Abib. Kind of a funny word, but... Um, and then uh, I'll read the passage where this comes from. Exodus twenty-three fifteen. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For it... 
for in it you came out of Egypt and none shall appear before me empty-handed. So that would be the, of course, we talked about the seventh month of the solar calendar or the, you know, remember, we're going to talk about it again, the first month of the religious calendar, which is also called Nisan. So um, same passages in Exodus 34.18 and Deuteronomy 3.18 if you want to read those. So the religious calendar is established in... Um, Technically, it's established in Exodus 12, 1 through 2. It says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, it was Nisan, by the way, or Abib, as they probably called it. It says, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. That's when he establishes the, it's just basically in the seventh month, God says, This is now the first month. And so that's where they basically have now two calendars. So, Solar calendar, that would be the seventh month. Religious new, this new calendar. We're just going to call it the religious calendar. It doesn't say it here, but it's basically the calendar which organizes their feast days. So it will be the first month to you, and that's, of course, Exodus 12, 1 and 2. And then it goes on to talk about the Passover procedures. So uh, first fruits is observed on the 17th of Nisan which is about March or April. This year, I think it falls on the, and I can look here real quick. Uh, let's see. Yeah, it falls in April this year. 14th of Nisan is on a Wednesday, our, our Wednesday. Of course, that's Passover, so that's the 5th of April, if you want to write that down, if you want. And, of course, the ninth is Easter for us, um, but the first day of, yeah, the first day, the 17th is actually, so what's funny is the first day of the week actually starts Saturday night. So if you look on a Hebrew calendar, it's going to say the 17th of nice on a Saturday because it starts that evening. Okay, so what does that mean? When did Jesus rise from the grave? Could have been Saturday night. Could have been Sunday morning. Who knows? That's when they found the tomb open was Sunday morning, but not a big deal. Don't worry. If you if you don't have to like, oh, no, we're going to have to have Easter on Saturday night now. You know, no, uh, nothing like that. So just just a funny, just kind of like to throw that out there because technically he could have rose from the grave any time when that evening started. So, but it's not a big deal again. So <clears throat> moving on. It commemorates, uh, First Fruits commemorates the spring barley harvest offerings. So when you read the procedures, you see a lot about harvest and a lot the sheaf, and they take a sheaf and they wave it before the Lord. And uh, they take the first fruits, basically, of their harvest and present it to the Lord. So, and it's, we'll see here in a little bit, it's symbolic of a lot more. So the procedures are, it begins the day after the Sabbath, after Passover. So, of course, the Sabbath would be, let's, let's just write a quick calendar up here, or a week, uh, I guess a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, did I do that right? Okay. Once you write it up here, it starts feeling like you're doing it wrong. All right, so you got that, 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 and that. So that's Saturday. All right. So, let's see here, where was I? 
<clears throat> the day after Sabbath, after Passover. So when was uh, when was the Sabbath? When was Passover? It would have started, you know, Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday evening, most likely, or some, well, no, it wouldn't have been Wednesday afternoon. And then you've got day one. That's one. And then you've got day two. And then you've got day three, which goes into Sunday. So it would be the day after Passover, after the Sabbath. So it's the, the day after the weekly Sabbath during unleavened bread. It's about. Yeah, yeah. Which is what you said. Mm, yeah, it, it. It's the weekly Sabbath, not the high Sabbath. Right. Yeah, the, the Saturday, basically, or our Saturday. So, of course, it's the day after the Sabbath. I'm just putting that up there because yeah but it would this would actually have been the or sorry this would have been the sabbath and then the passover was this day somewhere around here and then of course the actual first fruit starts saturday evening and goes into sunday so so it says here it begins the day after sabbath after passover So what they do is they bring in the sheaf of the, the, the first fruits of the entire harvest of the priest. The priest shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted. They don't wait for a sign or anything. They just wave it and say, okay, he's accepted. And there are, of course, various other offerings during the festival of animals and so forth. All right, so of course the fulfillment of this feast is that Jesus is the first fruits of those who are asleep. He was the first to rise from the dead in his new body. Was he the first to be raised from the dead? No, he's the first to raise from the dead and not die anymore. So I really wish they'd make a movie about the people who were raised from the dead when he died. You know, you read that passage, it said prophets came out, you know, and broke out of their tombs and everything, but then that stops there, and you don't really... I'm just kind of curious who that was, you know, kind of neat. Um, <clears throat> so this happens on the... Uh, this was fulfilled on the 17th of Nisan, of course, on the exact day, or Sunday, or Saturday evening. It doesn't really... I just like to point that out because I'm a detailed-oriented person, so if I, like, if I just say Saturday night and Sunday morning, I don't want to confuse you. We'll just say Sunday. So if I say Saturday and I confuse you, sorry, it's Sunday. Because Sunday technically starts Saturday night. So in fact, <laughs> not to confuse you even more. But um, if Jesus, our Passover lamb, was slain on the 14th of Nisan, and he was in the tomb for three days and three nights, according to the sign of Jonah. Sign of Jonah just said as... Jesus, or as Jonah was in the belly of the beast for, of course, three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. Then he resurrected on the 17th of Nisan, the same day as first fruits. So I'm going to point out this. We kind of talked about this last week, or maybe it was the week before. But in Genesis 8 4, it talks about something happening on the seventh month of the 17th day of the month. And of course, that's the day that the ark rested on the mountains of Ararat mountains 
of Ararat. In the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month. I know I have a lot of blanks for you to fill out, but I hope you just write numbers. Because otherwise, if you're spelling them out, it's going to take take a while. But all right, so let's think about this. So, who is on the ark? All of mankind is on the ark, right? All of the start of the new mankind, you could say. So you could say all of mankind rested, in a way, on this obviously on this mountain. Of course, who is a, what does a mountain symbolize in Scripture? Or a stone, or a rock. Remember in uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, how the rock struck the statue and the mountain filled the whole earth? So, And the mountain, of course, is Jesus and his kingdom. So, <clears throat> in a way, the fact that mankind is resting on a mountain kind of makes you think, oh, well, that's kind of interesting, you know. But um, it's just another little thing. If you, if you go back in Scripture and look up mountains and rocks, and, you know, like the rock followed them in the wilderness, the rock split, and out came water. The rock did this. And, of course, Jesus later said, you know, uh, there is a passage about Jesus being the rock. It was the rock, you know. So, And, of course, we call him our rock in a lot of places. So my point is, is a lot of symbolism. So it does, it's not an accident is what I'm trying to say, I guess. <clears throat> so... All mankind is on the ark. Mankind's new beginning on earth started on the same day, thousands of years in advance of mankind's new beginning in Jesus. So mankind had a new beginning in two different ways, you could say. Mankind had a physical new beginning and then a spiritual new beginning on the exact same day. So again, because if you, if you go back and you go, well, that wasn't the same day because it's on the seventh month. Well, remember, the seventh month on the solar calendar is the same. It's Nisan or Abib, same month. So, Because that religious calendar wasn't established yet. So the seventh month before Exodus 12 um, was always uh, Nisan on the solar calendar. So. Is that com did I completely confuse anyone with that? Two calendars? Everyone understand? Okay. All right. So Esther, the book of or sorry, Exodus, Esther's later. Exodus 12:2 starts the religious calendar with Abib, Exodus 13:4 and later called Nisan, Esther 3:7. And of course it says in Exodus on this day in the month of Abib you are about to go forth. And then in Esther it says in the first month, which is the month Nisan, so they're talking about which calendar there? We'll call it the religious calendar. Yeah. So the first month, which is the month Nisan, 12th year of King Ereson, and it goes on. All right, Nisan is the, and highlight these four sentences here because these are going to be on your quiz. Nisan is the first month of the year on the Hebrew religious calendar. Nisan is the seventh month of the year on the Hebrew solar calendar. Tishri is the first month of the year on the Hebrew solar calendar. It's just another month. Tish, and if you want to look at well, all the names of the months, there's a on the very last page, there's a calendar. Tishri is the first month of the year on the Hebrew solar calendar and the seventh month of the year on the Hebrew religious calendar. What was that blank on a, is it Passover in the... Where at? Um, it's right before you said that Exodus 
12 too. Oh, isn't Passover in the spring? Yeah, that's where it kind of gets confusing because because of the that's why I wanted to go over where the months fall on each calendar. Passover's in the spring, but when it talks about the seventh month, it kind of sounds like it's talking about in the fall, but it's not. It's just a different calendar. <clears throat> All right, so Tishri is the month, which we'll get back to later when the fall feasts occur. So that will be later. Interesting facts. So on Passover, this is interesting facts about this particular feast. A marked, I didn't know this until about a week ago, so I thought this was kind of neat. A marked sheaf of grain was bundled and left standing in the field. And on the next day, the day of unleavened bread, the sheaf was cut and prepared for the offering on the third day. And on the third day, first fruits, it's weighed before the Lord. Okay, so who does that, what's that sheaf, rep, sheaf represent? I gave it away. I said, who? I mean, it could just be a little tradition they do, but what does it sound like? I mean, you got something standing up in a field. You know what Jesus said about the serpent on the pole, which we'll talk about later. As the, as the serpent was raised up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man. I mean, he could have also said, as the sheaf is put up on the, you know, in the field, so must the Son of Man. So, I mean, you see some parallels there by that little tradition they do. Um, one particular morning, the first fruits of the harvest were being waved before the altar in Jerusalem while some women were walking to an empty tomb. So right when first fruits is happening um, at the temple, the first fruits from the dead is being, uh, well, his tomb is empty. Celebrated by most Christians today as what? Easter. Easter very good. How many of you are going to say, I have my first fruits basket? I'm just kidding. First fruits bunny? No. Um, number four, manna, M-A-N-N-A. How do you think you say it in Hebrew? Mana. Close. That's very close. Mana. Which fed the Israelites during the wilderness wanderings. It happened to stop falling on that day. So as they entered the promised land, which was on this same day, <clears throat> it says, while the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month and the, on the desert plains of Jericho. This is Joshua 5, by the way. On the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate some of, I like how it says on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land and leavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but... They ate of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. So Joshua t uh, 5, 10 through 12, if you want to read that. Okay, so Queen Esther risked her life. You could say Esther or Queen Esther. To save the Jewish people from annihilation. I just put the passages there so you can go back and read those. So it's all happened around the same time in advance, of course. So. Since Jesus is the first fruits, if you say there's a first place, what's that mean? There's a second place, right? And there's there's going to be more, right? So this means that there will be more resurrections. Who do you think that is? Us, everybody. What about unbelievers? Yeah, every, yeah, everyone's going to be resurrected. Yeah, it's a it's a trick question. But yeah, every person's going to be resurrected. Everyone's going to exist. Some with the Lord, some 
away uh, separated from the Lord. So, all right. So the resurrected believers, and that's in First Corinthians fifteen, which are initiated by a strange event referred to as the rapture. I haven't completely lost anyone. Hopefully. The word rapture does not appear in the English Bible. We're going to talk a little bit about rapture. Next week we're going to go over some end time stuff because it's referring to the feast in the fall, which will likely be fulfilled during the tribulation or around then. The word rapture does not appear in the English Bible, but it does in the, what, Latin translation. Rapio or rapturo is how some pronounce it. So when people say the word rapture is not in the Bible, say, yeah, it is, just not in the English one. But it is in the English Bible. It's just, yeah, it's the caught up passage. 1 Thessalonians 4. The Greek word for rapture is harpazo. I've heard like three different pronunciations of that word. I'll just say harpazo. Uh, Greek word, rapture. So if you look in the, the Greek, if you like to study Greek, that's the word for rapture. Is the rapture a New Testament concept? Is it only in the New Testament? We're going to talk about that real quick. Okay, so there were three groups facing the judgment in Noah of the flood in Noah's day. Three different groups, and we're going to separate those out real quick. There was those who were, I can't talk today, those who were removed prior to the flood, those who perished, and those who were preserved through the flood. All right, now I'm going to ask you to kind of imagine in your mind that the flood is a type of what? Where do you think I'm going with this? The flood was a really horrific event on the earth. Completely changed how we, we don't really know what the world was like before the flood. Uh, It destroyed a lot of people, obviously. What sounds like that maybe in future? Tribulation. Huh? Tribulation? Thank you. All right. Okay. My hints were working. Very good. All right, so let's picture the flood as the tribulation. So there were those who were removed prior to the, let's say, tribulation. Who was that? The church. So we'll say that this is kind of a picture of future events as well. There were those who perished, of course, those who perished during the tribulation. And there were those who were preserved through the flood. We could say that would be the remnant of Israel. Um, Very... You know, smaller group of Jews that are uh, preserved. Where are they preserved at? Anyone know? Petra? Yeah, that rocky area over in the over in Jordan. Uh, scripture says they're going to be preserved there. So, um, all right. So, by the way, before I go on, I just want to point this out. Does anyone know? Because we're going to talk about that. We're talking about Noah's flood. Does anyone know what the Chinese pictograph for boat is? You know, how pictographs. Chinese, there are multiple words in one picture. Does anyone know what the three words for boat are? Eight, the number eight, people, and vessel. What's that sound like? Noah's Ark, right? Eight people in a boat. So that's the Chinese word for boat. And by the way, there is evidence that in early China, very early China, that they were very monotheistic and likely worshipped the same. Has it, have you heard that before? Okay, yeah, that they likely worship the same God we do. So, uh, also the pictograph for the word flood. You're going to like this. Is 
it's two groups of words, total, water, and then eight people and earth. So kind of interesting that it points out eight each time. Anyway, uh, moving on, Job 19. Let's see, is the rapture in Job or the resurrection? <clears throat> As for me, I know we talked about this before a couple of weeks ago. I know that my Redeemer lives and that at the last or the last days, he will take his stand on the earth even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. So there's a resurrection passage, which you can't have the resurrection without uh, the rapture in there somewhere. So um, Genesis 5.24, you don't have to write anything after here unless you want to write notes. Um, this is, of course, Enoch walking with God. Was he raptured? He was taken up. He's gone, you know, he's not there anymore. Um, so who knows? And then Isaiah 26, we read this a week or two ago as well. Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You will lie. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. So you're you're dust, but then, now suddenly you're awake and and shout for joy. Your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. And then of course it goes on to enter into your rooms, close the doors behind you. An idea of being in the house of the Lord. So during the maybe the tribulation or and then second kings 2 is of course elijah being taken up we talked about that in the, the last study so all right so that's first fruits any questions before we move on to weeks or shavuot comments heckling i don't care i'll take them all all right feast of weeks Or, like I said, Shavuot. And uh, those little markings out there are just the Hebrew word for, the, for Shavuot. All right, the scripture is Leviticus 23, 15 through 22. This is observed on the sixth of what the month is called Sivan. So, sixth Sivan, which is around May or June. This year, and I, I keep saying I'm going to write this down, but then I don't. Um, this year, the 6th of Sivan is, it's in May, there it is, it is the, I have this Jewish calendar on my phone just to show me what days are when, um, <clears throat> it is the 26th of May is the 6th of Sivan, so you've got Shavuot 1 and 2, that's the first quarter moon, so the moon will be split in half, well, not really, but you'll see half of it. And and then I'm playing drums that Sunday after, so just saw that one. Sorry, had to throw that out there. All right, so um, it occurs on the sixth of Sivan, and it is seven Sabbaths and one day or fifty days after Passover. So <coughs> after first fruits, isn't it? Yes, after first fruits. Yeah, so it's seven Sabbaths after that, and then one day. So it's yeah, seven Saturdays, and then a, and then the Sunday after. So. And of course, there are other names for that. You can write Pentecost. Um, how many know any other names for it? There's a few other names. Festival of Harvest. It's called, ironically, Ladder First Fruits. Some call it Festival of Revelation. 
So Pentecost, Festival of Harvest, Latter First Fruits, Festival of Revelation, those questions will not be on the quiz, but if you want to write them down for reference or whatever, you can. <clears throat> it commemorates the giving of the what? Anyone guess? The law, right. So the Mosaic Law was given on the 6th of Sivan. Some actually call that the birth of the nation of Israel when the law was given. So, I mean, it was shortly after they escaped uh, Egypt and then the law was made and then or given and then that's considered by some to be the birth of the nation of Israel. Some call the birth of the nation of Israel when they left Egypt, but I mean it's all about the same time. So, so the procedures are as follows. They present you present a grain offering to the Lord. You bring in from your dwelling place two loaves of bread for a wave offering. It's like, you know, you wave it. Using ooh, what do you think? Leaven. This is the only feast, by the way, where leaven is used. So that's kind of interesting. There are various lamb, bull, ram, and goat offerings, obviously. So I bet it smells amazing when they have these. But <clears throat> On the same day, you shall have a holy convocation with no laborious work. I mean, if I ate all that, I wouldn't want to work either, but... That's actually a rule, so my kind of holiday. All right, fulfilled by the sending of the Holy Spirit to indwell believers, which marked the beginning of the church. So exactly 49 and one days. That's the way you say it in Hebrew. You don't say 50 days. You say 49 and one days. I don't know why that's the way. It's just the way they count things, and that's fine. But that's the way they say it, 49 and one days. So um, probably because 49 is a multiple of seven. Or who knows? But uh, yeah, it's seven Sabbaths and a day. So that's probably why. Just like the uh, Daniel uh, 70 weeks, instead of saying 490 years, it's 70 weeks or weeks of years. So it just kind of, you got to just get used to that numbering. All right, so beginning of the church. So the church is born on the same day as the law was given as the same day as you could say the nation of Israel was born. Um, and there's some other things that happened on that day, which we'll talk about. But it, the church was born on, and if you look in the back here, that picture of the menorah, you'll see right in the middle there. Hey, I found it. There it is. See right in the middle there, this uh, interesting feast, Pentecost which is highlighted by the church age. So first three feasts were fulfilled by Jesus' first coming. He died, rose again, and then in the middle there, you've got this interesting feast, which is, involves leavened bread. What's leaven represent? Sin. Sin, okay. Talk about that some too. Um, and then you have these last three feasts, which have not been fulfilled yet. And it most likely haven't been fulfilled. It doesn't really seem like they have been, but there's. we'll talk about those next week as to how they might be fulfilled. Don't take my uh, opinions on that uh, um, as, you know, set in stone or anything, obviously, but pun intended. But <clears throat> we'll, uh, we'll talk more about that. Okay, so... John 14.26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. Kind of makes you think back at Genesis 24 when the Holy Spirit was sent by 
or the servant was sent by Abraham. <clears throat> the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring you remembrance to your remembrance that all that I have said to you. Oh, I heard kids and I thought we were late. Okay. <clears throat> Colossians 1.18 says he is also head of the body, the church. So the church is the body of Christ. Obviously, we, we call it that, but that's a reference right there. And he is the beginning, the firstborn, or the first fruits from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Okay, so the church was a mystery until this event. You've got Jews believing that they were the chosen people, which they were chosen for service, obviously. They were, they were a unique group of people set apart or sanctified holy to be an example for others and uh, the thought that this church group this Jews and Gentiles together was completely foreign at least to most that we can tell um, so the church was a mystery until this point for example Daniel 9 which is the 24 through 27 70 weeks passage doesn't mention the church but it's in there there's a little gap it's not the gap theory that's in Genesis. That's something else. But this is, uh, there's a little gap at the, uh, when it says the Messiah will be cut off. And then it goes into the last seven, week, seven, uh, seven years, last week, which is the tribulation period. But you don't see the church in there. It just kind of, it's not, not, doesn't talk about it because it's a mystery. We're going to talk about what mysteries are. So it's from the Greek mysterion which the word literally means, the root of it means shut your mouth or shut the mouth. So, <clears throat> start saying that to your kids. Mysterion! No. So, shut the mouth. The Greek usage of this word was to withhold truth by secrecy. It's like being sworn to secrecy. Now, scripturally, it is used to reveal a truth spiritually when it serves God's purpose. So, something that's revealed not a mystery in the sense like you go and solve a mystery sort of um, in scripture it's different it's something that's hidden and then is revealed so you still call it a mystery even though it's revealed but it yeah it, it's yeah it's kind of a it's different from our way of thinking mysteries are only hidden to those who have not been they have not been revealed to so you could say that things that people don't understand in the scripture is a mystery because it hasn't been revealed to you yet um just uh, throw that out there. But uh, the one before it was truth, by the way. Reveal a truth. I think I said it, but just in case I didn't. <clears throat> All right. Some interesting facts about this feast, weeks, is that this is the only festival where leaven is used. And there are, of course, two loaves. We're not really sure what it represents, but we have an idea. Nation of Israel reunited, maybe? I kind of think it's the second one. Jew and Gentile united. Because you've got what in there? What in the bread? Leaven. Now, if you had an unleavened loaf and a leavened loaf, that would be really obvious. But it's two leavened loaves because it's mixed in. So you could say, well, it's Jew and Gentile. Um, there's sin in both groups because we're human. Who knows what it means? But that, that's probably, that's kind of where I lean is that it's a Jew and Gentile united all in one body group. So... Who died on the 6th of Sivan? 
David, King David. So these are things that happened on that day. The law was given. Talked about that. The church was born. And this is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know how to prove this, but it's tradition that Enoch was born, uh, was actually born on the 6th of Sivan, and he was taken up or raptured. You're right, taken up I, you know, or raptured, I don't care. You know, and he was taken up by God on the 6th of Sivan. So kind of interesting that if that's true, there's a real emphasis on this day for some reason. You know, that something big is going to happen on the 6th of Sivan, and it seems like something big keeps happening, and of course the church was born. Um, now, here's a question. Was Enoch Jewish or Gentile? We've talked about this before. This was before Jews, so he was technically Gentile. So the church being thought of as a Gentile group, even though it's Jew and Gentile together, um, Enoch could be a picture or a type of the church. Gentile taken up before the what? Flood, right? So Enoch is a type of, is Enoch a type of the church? Who knows? That's a, that's a thought. All right, Jews, this is interesting. Jews read the book of, who knows? Who, who, who can guess? What book do they read during the Festival of Weeks? Ruth. What an interesting book to read. As a Christian, what does that make you think of? Like, what does Ruth talk about? Redeemer. It's prophetic of the church in a lot of ways. It speaks of harvest. They, they say it because it's, it's about harvest. But when we think of Ruth, we really get a sense of the Redeemer. Um, and of course, him reunited with who? His Gentile bride. So it's kind of interesting that they celebrate or read that book during that time. So, Okay. Any questions before we... Is prophetic of the... Oh, did I not say that? Bride. Oh, church. Oh. Or bride. You can write church or bride. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, I mean, the church and the bride of Christ are the same thing. So It speaks of harvest and it's prophetic of the church. So. Prophetic of a lot of things, but one of the things it's... And, and of course, when we talk about... The, we were talking about the church because the church was born on this day, so, or during this festival. All right, so what is this what is this little study, these two these two feasts? These are the last of the spring feasts. They occur, of course, in the spring. As Christians, we should understand our Jewish roots. Kind of, we already did this, but we're going to go over it again. Um, these Jewish festivals are ordained by God. First roots. It's kind of a completed sentence from the main topic there, so that's why it's got the comma there. These Jewish festivals, first fruits, represents Jesus' resurrection from the dead. The first fruits of those who sleep. So he's the first to rise from the dead and of course live forever. Not die anymore. And one of these days everybody is every when I say everybody, every human body is going to be raised from the dead. So Okay, weeks represents the birth of his church or his bride. Church is fine though, either way. 
Uh, these festivals provide Christians with a much or with a deeper understanding of God's plan. Do these do these feasts understanding them kind of help you grasp kind of why things happen the way they do in the and kind of make the church like oh I see the church in this even though it's before the church you know I see Jesus in this even though it's before Jesus and stuff like that so well before he was born as a man um, are prophetic of the Messiah and the church and of course these feasts are not compulsory but you can observe them if you want we talked about this last week if you weren't here last week we went over that in a lot of detail um, the feasts are not we are not under the law um, that's detailed and I believe Acts 15 might be Acts 5 or 15 I think it's 15 anyway um, we are not under the law you can observe the feasts if you want it's a celebration I mean the feasts are not except for uh, Yom Kippur are not <laughs> sad events you know they're, they're, um, we talked about how the Feast of Tabernacles appears to be compulsory during the millennium and if you look at what Tabernacles is, it's basically a seven-day camping trip. You go, you go live in temporary dwellings for seven days. Kids probably love it. The parents probably hate it. I mean, you're, you've got to be able to see the stars. You, you have to use certain kinds of plants. Uh, there's real specific details on what kind of uh, plants you use, to like tree limbs that you use to make your dwelling. And the rain has to come in, and it reminds uh, it reminds the observers of the wilderness wanderings, and it also reminds you to have to put your trust in the Lord that you know He's going to take care of you out in this tent, basically. So, but again, they're not something that oh, I have to observe these feasts. No, you don't have to observe the feasts if you want to. You can. I have a a buddy of mine who lives in Texas and he observes Passover with his family, him and his wife's family. Uh, and they just have fun with it. I mean, they, they do it and it's fun. You know, they have a good meal and they, they do all the traditions. But of course, when you see it as a Christian, you see all these little things pointing to, you know, our Messiah. So um, if you don't understand that, I can see how it might be a little like, why are we doing this? Why are we taking three pieces of matzah breaking the one in the middle in half and hiding it. Well, what does this mean? But, of course, as Christians, we know this. it's very symbolic of stuff that's happened um, in the Christian faith. So, again, feasts are not compulsory, not required. We do observe them in ways, you know. Um, we celebrate them, and that's what they are. They're celebrations. They, are, they point to Jesus. They look back at Jesus. So, <clears throat> memory verses... Two memory verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead and the first fruits of those who are asleep, which means there will be more. And then Job 19. So we got a really, we got a new verse in chronologically speaking. And then we have a really old verse, chronologically speaking, all talking about the resurrection. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, which means, you know, my body's decaying, I'm dead physically, yet from my flesh I will see God. So you will have new flesh, just like Jesus' body was raised, um, to never die again, to never see corruption. Um, so will we.